You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Become a subscriber and support Radical Radio. Call 03-9419-8377 or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Plot destruction, sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning, as the war machine keeps turning. Death and hatred to mankind, poisoning. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. And I've just noticed my voice has got deeper. I wonder why. Maybe I'm getting a virus. Who knows? (laughs) Yeah. If you wonder what anarchism is all about, no, it's not about deep voices and people shouting. Anarchos, without rulers. It's a society without rulers, not without rules. What gives people an authority, the ability to determine the lives of billions of people, as we see around the world every day? Inequalities in power and wealth. The anarchist struggle is the struggle to create a society without rulers. That means a society where the people involved in the decision make that decision where wealth is held in common. Exceptionally conservative concepts. Obviously, the path to such a society is unknown. There are many pathways which people take, and obviously we all respect what people are doing in that struggle to create a society without rulers where wealth is held in common. My name is Joseph Toscano. If you want to leave, want to leave messages, 0439 395 489. You can uh, email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com, info at anarchistage at yahoo.com, or info at pibci.net. Number of Facebook pages, YouTube channels, you name it, we've got it. Uh, unfortunately, as you know, social media. You know, a lot of uh, a lot of content, little action. What we're interested in this program is a little bit of action, as well as a lot of content. Now we're told consistently every day. Every day I wake up, I'm told it's such a complicated world. Everything is so complex, and I'm thinking, what? Complicated? I mean, I do a lot of uh, historical research, and I've noticed. The same issues, the same stories, the same results happening over and over and over again. We don't live in a complicated world. They would like us to think people who exercise authority 
and hold wealth would like to think us we live in a complicated world. Because people like you and me, obviously we don't have the intellectual capacity to be able to unravel this complicated world and have an impact on this complicated world. It's only those people who exercise power and have wealth have that capacity to unravel that complicated world. Well, it is not a complicated world. It is a very, very simple world. Obviously, there may be many complicated pathways in any struggle, but it is a simple world. And it's based on two concepts. It doesn't matter what your gender is, your sexual orientation, your racial background, whether you're a First Nations person around the world or not. It's about inequalities in power and wealth. It's always been about inequality in inequalities in power and wealth. It's nothing more, nothing less. So it's a matter of how you look at a particular struggle. It's, that's the issue. It's how you look at it and what underlying tools you use to analyse what's happening. And what I tend to do, and I encourage other people to do, is when you see somebody talk about a complicated world, think about what do they gain from this conversation? What are they trying, either consciously or unconsciously, trying to do? Who's going to be the winner out of this conversation? Are we going to see an increased concentration of power and welfare in fewer, in fewer hands? Or are, are, going, are we going to see the reverse? Because the reality is, it is not complicated. It is simple. I'll give you a simple example, which most of you have been involved in in the last you know, decade or two. Housing in Australia, or just limited to Australia. Housing in Australia. We're told it's a complicated problem. There isn't enough land. Planning regulations are too difficult. We can't house everybody, although we're one of the richest nations on the planet, resource-wise, as far as human resources and natural resources. We're told it is just too complex, it's too complicated. Well, it's very simple. It's a matter of political will. We could, as a nation-state, overcome the problem of housing within a few years. If we changed the philosophy that we follow, the ideology we follow in order to create housing, do you leave it to the private marketplace or do you leave it to the public sector? And if you leave it to the public sector, how do you raise the money or the resources from the private sector in order to cross-subsidise public housing. It's a matter of priorities. And what priorities governments follow, especially governments which are based on representative democracy, where you elect your representative, is the amount of pressure which is placed on that representative. If that pressure is greater than the pressure that is exerted by the 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, who tend to dominate the legislative process, then 
things change. I'll give you an example. In 1871, the colony of Victoria was the first entity on the planet to introduce free, secular, compulsory education. Everybody. Within 12 months, 652 schools were built because there was that, there was that pressure from the population as a, direct, as a result directly and indirectly of the Eureka Rebellion in 1854 to provide facilities for all children irrespective of their parents' position in society. So we do have the capacity to change things and that's what this program is all about. It's not about change occurring tomorrow. It's not about me slashing my wrists if change doesn't occur in the next 10 years. It's about creating a milieu, creating a situation where change becomes possible. Everything is possible if people have the belief that they are the engine room, they are the computer, you know, the microchips of that society. Everything is possible. But while we continue to think in the old ways that life is complex, that everything is complicated, that every problem we face is due to our own internal deficiencies, that we're just individuals in a sea of individuals, that we have no common purpose apart from maybe shouting at a football match. Things will remain the same. So nothing is complicated. Every problem is, can be relatively easily solved. The dilemma, the barricade against change is those inequalities in power and wealth which are inbuilt into the society we live in, which are inbuilt into the legal system, which are inbuilt into the parliamentary system, and more importantly, which are inbuilt into our thinking. And that's the dilemma. Inbuilt into our thinking that change is impossible, that egalitarian change is ridiculous, that nothing will ever change, that it's all we just should sit back on our haunches and you know, binge on whatever's going on at the minute, you know, or get totally involved in our sporting team or our religious predilection, whatever, religious, whatever, fantasies. I mean, change is a matter of the mind. Not just internalising that possibility, but actually making, through action, making that possibility a practical reality. Think about it. It's not complex. It's not complicated. It's not a maze. It's a very simple equation. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. 
Any complaints? Ah, well, that's fine. You can send them to 0439 395 489. Brickbacks, bouquets, doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter what happens to me. What really matters is what you do, ultimately, to become more than a spectator in your own life. Because remember, we are all part of a larger community. We all have our failings, and I've got more than most. I've got my club foot here under, underneath. I'm sure the devil will be very happy to see I've got my club foot on. But the fact is that, ultimately, the type of society we create is dependent on the type of ideas we are willing to work for in order to change, to change that basic inequality that exists in our society. All right, let's move on. That was the sermon for the day. Let's move on. Shame job. Guilty, Your Honour. Yeah, I'm guilty. Yeah, I'm guilty of being a baby boomer. Now, I don't think... Ba- and when I use the term baby boomer, I'm not talking about a mental attitude, but I'm talking about a particular group that was born at a particular point in time after the Second World War. You know, I think it's, I think the definition is about 15 to 20 years after the Second World War. Now, I'm one of those little scumbags, baby boomer. And I am ashamed. Because all those ideas we had in the late 60s and 70s have come to nothing. And they've come to nothing because as a group, we accepted the ideology, and it is an ideology, of the private investment for private profit mantra. The very group of people, and I'm one of them, who benefited from a tertiary education, and there are many of you listening to this program who are now retired, who've uh, you know benefited from three tertiary education are the very group of people who allowed our political representatives to saddle younger Australians who access tertiary education with a continuing debt. We're the very same people who've allowed successive governments to embrace Mammon as their primary ideological motive in a private investment for private profit world, where we have turned housing, which is a basic human need, not a right, there are no rights in the Australian Constitution, but a basic human need into an investment vehicle. That's right. And we've seen housing prices and rents just skyrocket. I'll give you an example. This is a simple example. In, I think it was 1981, yes, it was 1981, the bank and I were able to buy a little three-bedroom home in Richmond, shabby little thing, tilted house, wood, for $42,540. Now, I vacated that home a few years later, about four or five years later. Doubled 
the profit and actually paid off the bank, had a little bit left, left over. But the same home, which was sitting on the ground because most of its foundations had collapsed, in 2019 hadn't even been painted. The floor was still tilted to one side, which is not unusual in these older homes in the inner city of Melbourne. What do you think it sold for? $1.4 million. So that house increased in value 40-fold. Well, at the same period, wages increased in value sevenfold. And to rent a house like that in Richmond today, I think you'd be paying seven, eight hundred dollars a week. Hmm? And we allowed that to happen. We, as a group, allowed that to happen. At the same time, as a group, this is the baby boomers, my brothers and sisters, uncles and aunts. You know, the baby boomers. My, I should say, brothers and sisters and cousins. All right, all our cuz. We allowed this to happen. And we were happy that it happened. Because those of us, and I don't include myself in this, who were fortunate enough to, you know, make a huge uh, profit during this period by just sitting on your home, are very happy with the situation. And then we've got all those laws which we help pass regarding superannuation which allowed people who make lots of money to have a wonderful retirement and allowed members of the population who for various reasons were not able to be part of the workforce, maybe because they were pregnant, maybe because they were unemployed, maybe because they were sick, to live a miserable lifestyle economically, you know, for the rest of their lives into their old age. So there are a lot of sins that I'm guilty of as part of a generation, a generation which forgot that the essence of struggle is that struggle against inequalities in power and wealth, a generation who was duchessed by the thought of acquiring wealth. It's a real issue. There are huge gaps Current generations will be the first generations in years, decades, that have gone backwards, not just in terms of their economic situation, but in terms of their psychological status, in terms of having to deal with constant debt, in terms of having to deal with insecurity as far as housing is concerned, in terms, in terms of having to deal with an overloaded public health system in terms of having to live on Social Security benefits, which in the majority of cases are below the poverty line, especially if you've got to pay rent and you're not in public housing. So I am guilty. And every single one of us baby boomers, whether we struggled against what happened or we actually uh, cheered on government as they passed legislation in order to create an investment class in the society which didn't exist, you know, before the 70s, you know, we're all responsible as a group. So think about it. And I haven't even mentioned 
the problem of uh, the climate emergency, the most important issue. Haven't even mentioned that in terms of destroying the very planet which we as human beings rely on to survive. Because, you know, I discovered a very important fact a few days ago. I know you find this pretty radical, but a very important fact. I discovered that if you don't breathe for three to four minutes, you die. That's right. You don't get oxygen, you die. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Have you ever thought of that? No oxygen, you die. Mm. Well, that's the great thing about listening to the Anarchist World this week. You make extraordinary discoveries regarding different things. Now, you're going to find this very funny, but it's very tragic. Look, tonight, this is the... I'm broadcasting this, just in case you're listening to it, on the uh, 20th of September, broadcasting Anarchist World this week from Melbourne town to uh, various radio stations across Australia, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. And this evening I'll be doing a presentation on 19th century trade unionism at the Footscray Hotel. That's 48 Hopkins Street, Footscray. Uh, Start 6.30pm for a 7pm start. Gives you time to get some drinks. So, but I've discovered something interesting, fascinating. Gentlemen of name and quality. You like that? Gentlemen of lay name and quality. Now, there are three words to describe the foundation stones of Australia. Genocide. Slavery. Free land. So it's genocide, free land, free labour. So what does a gentleman of name and quality have to do with this? Well, when Australia the colonisation began in 1788, 859 people turned up at Port Jackson. And by 1850... The population in New South Wales had grown to 405,361. Well, what's got that to do with gentlemen of name and quality? Well, obviously, when Europeans first came, or the British first came to the land of milk and honey, as we know, it was the land of no one, terra nullius. You know, we didn't see any huge cities, so obviously nobody owned the place. Okay? Didn't own the place. But there were these people all over the place, about a million of them, who claimed that they had prior occupation of the land because they lived here for over 60,000 years. So there was an issue initially, but as the numbers of Europeans grew, that issue was pushed aside. Pushed aside. So what do gentlemen of name and quality have to do? What does three land have to do? What does genocide have to do with this? What does free labour have to do with this? It's very simple. Between 1788 and 1850, there was very little free immigration to Australia. It was actually discouraged. 
people were discouraged from coming to the land of milk and honey. And except if you were a gentleman of name and quality. Now, obviously, with the destruction of the First Nations people, there was a lot of free land available. So who are you going to give this free land to? To the convicts that have been brought to this country in irons for, in the majority of cases, piddling crimes? Or to the gentlemen of name and quality? Obviously, the British authorities allocated huge amounts of land to gentlemen of name and quality. And in Victoria, the squatters who even, you know, ran ahead of the British government's allocation, allocated themselves, 720 of them, the whole of Victoria within about 20 years of uh, colonisation there. So now these gentlemen of name and quality had a problem. How to make a buck out of this free land. Now obviously, while genocide is occurring in Australia and the free land becomes available to the, to the gentlemen of name and quality, there is something occurring in Mother England and the rest of Europe. The Industrial Revolution. The Industrial Revolution. And what does the Industrial Revolution need with the mechanisation of weaving? Wool. So the gentlemen of name and quality were able to, you know, bring across a few sheep with them. They had this free land, thousands and thousands of acres on which to graze their nice sheep. All those pesky original inhabitants had been forcefully removed and those that hadn't will be. But they've got a problem. There's nobody to look after the little sheepies. There's nobody to shear their sheep. There's nobody to send the wool to Mother England to go to the industrial hell which has been created through mechanisation at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution in the 1820s and 1830s in Mother England. So what happens? They get free labour. Convicts. So we've got this dirty little scheme unfolding in Australia between 1788 and 1850. We've got the genocide of the original inhabitants. We have free land being given to gentlemen of name and quality after that land has been, you know, made useful through the removal the genocide of the original inhabitants, and then you've got all this free labour who you pay with rations. That's right. Not money. Rations. You provide them with a bit of food and some rudimentary shelter and they work for nothing for you. No wonder so many gentlemen of name and quality came to little old Australia, the Antipodes, to make their fortune. I mean, you'd have to be stupid not to make a fortune if you got free land and free labour. So it's interesting. So when you think of the foundation, foundation pillars of Australian society, it's all about a gentleman 
of gentlemen of name and quality. That's the key. Name and quality receiving three land which has been taken forcefully through the genocide of First Nations people and three labour which is provided by convicts who are brutally repressed. And if you want to learn more, come along tonight. Because 19th century trade unionism has a very interesting, fascinating beginning. Let's move on. Pyrrhic victory. Pyrrhic victory. What's a Pyrrhic victory? What's a Pyrrhic? Well, it's when you have a victory, but you actually don't have a victory. It's like it's like shooting yourself in the foot, you know. You're out there trying to kill a kangaroo or two just to, just to enjoy yourself. And all of a sudden, the gun goes off and bang, there's a big hole in your foot. That's a Pyrrhic victory. You may have shot a few kangaroos. But the hole in your foot is a bigger concern to you today. Look, I, I am fascinated with the voice referendum. Look, it's a particularly innocuous change. All right? I, I'll be voting yes. I'm quite happy to vote yes. Sometimes you've got to, uh, you can't get everything at once in life, which is something I've learned very quickly in my life. Sometimes small victories pave the way to bigger victories, and politics, as I've said before, is all about political momentum. Anybody who thinks that a failed voice referendum will lead to treaty needs to have their head read. I'm sure the National Party is not interested in a treaty, neither is uh, the Dutton-led Liberal Party, and obviously there are elements of the ALP that are not interested in a treaty. So unless there's the political momentum that the voice referendum succeeds, there will be no momentum for a treaty. It's a little bit like the 1998 Republican referendum, irrespective of what you thought about that and the question that was put up to. The fact is, when that referendum failed 24 years later, nobody, although Queen Lizzie is gone and the fruit of her loins Charlie is there, nobody talks about a republic in any meaningful way. So, you know, you're going to have to vote. Well, you don't have to vote. It's up to you, you know although it's compulsory whether you vote or not is your business. So whatever you put in the box is your business. But as I said, I'll be voting yes. I'm happy to vote yes. I'm a bit surprised by the coalition that's occurred that's uh, promoting the no campaign. It's quite an extraordinary coalition. But uh, all I can say is if the 1967 referendum had been unsuccessful, and powers weren't transferred to the Commonwealth regarding Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders from the states, there would have been no land rights legislation in the story. None whatsoever. So there is momentum. You can't get everything at once. I learnt that a long time ago. And the fact is that voting yes is not going to really destroy you. It's not going to affect me in the end of the day, whether it's yes or no. I'll continue campaigning. But I am very concerned about First Nations people if the no, no vote succeeds because their struggle will be put back generations. You're listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Look, I'd like to thank... That's right. I'd like to thank all those people who turned up to the West Papuan do in... Um, Melbourne on Sunday, although it was the day for the uh, mass rallies for the uh, vote yes referendum. 
the West Papuan thing went ahead and there were lots and lots of people there, many from various parts of the Pacific, as many Australians were there as well as West Papuans. And I am interested in a few things uh, regarding what's described as slow-motion genocide in West Papua. Because the situation hasn't got better, it's actually got worse for the First Nations people of West Papua. And the whole idea of having the West Papuan office is to provide a mechanism via which West Papuans can conduct their struggle for independence. Obviously, they'll have their own issues, their own internal problems, but it's about creating a space where that struggle for West Papua independence can continue. Now, I did find out on, on Sunday that the West Papua office needs volunteers. That's right, they need volunteers. They need volunteers to uh, assist with accounting. They need volunteers to assist with uh, marketing. You know, these boring things that keep a group together, you know. Resources, marketing, struggle, those type of things. Now, I know there's a lot of retired people here listening to the Anarchist World this week, and uh, you're all very concerned about... Uh, what are you concerned about? Oh, yeah, you're concerned about what television program you're going to watch tonight or tomorrow. I'm concerned about that too, obviously. <laughs> no, I mean, seriously. You're concerned about the situation in West Papua. Uh, you've got skills that you can share. So if you're interested in volunteering to assist people at the West Papua office in Melbourne, and you could be anywhere in Australia, you may be able to assist, I suggest you do one of two things. You can either SMS your interest to 0424 or you can email FRWP Women's Office at gmail.com. FRWP Women's Office at gmail.com. So give them a buzz if you've got a bit of time, and obviously. If you can join the Rent Collective, that'll be good too. But the main thing is, the main thing is to uh, get in there, give them a bit of assistance. There's lots of things we can do in life. This is one thing that has practical assistance to assist the people of West Papua. And just in case you think West Papua is on the other side of the universe, no, West Papua, believe it or not, is only 72 kilometres from the Australian coast. That's right, 72 whole kilometres from the West Australian coast. So obviously it's uh, pretty easy to get to West Papua. Now let's move on. Peter Normandy, yes, things keep happening. Now Peter Normandy, this year will be on Monday, that's the 9th of October. Monday the 9th of October, uh, yeah, welcome to come along. We have a small ceremony on that day. If you're wondering who Peter Norman is, I go. I suggest you go to the Peter Norman Facebook page, which is which is run by the Peter Norman uh, committee. Now, this year, as in last year, we'll be having the commemoration of what happened in uh, Mexico City on the 9th of October. What happened in Mexico City 
in uh, the Olympics at, uh, in 1968, where Peter Norman, an Australian athlete, ran second in the 200 metres. He still holds, if you're interested in records, he still holds the 200 metre record in Australia. Nobody's ever, no Australian has ever broken it. And Peter Norman, this was the height of the black power struggles in the United States of America. And uh, Peter Norman was asked by the winner and the third who Afro-Americans to join them on the dais. And he said, I will support you. He wore a uh, human rights badge on the dais. He bowed his head when they did the Black Power salute. And the three of them, the three of them have suffered enormous. Now, Peter Norman Day was actually established, not by Australians, but established by the United States Track and Field Association to honour to honor that moment. The day of his funeral, the 9th of October, so Peter Norman Day has been set up for that. And we've had Peter Norman Days now for over a decade. We do our best on the day just to show people that uh, the struggle for equality, whether it's racial equality, economic equality, gender equality, whatever it is, is a universal struggle. I will stand with you. And that's the, that's, that's the issue, isn't it? I will stand with you. Whatever that struggle is, I will stand with you. Will I stand on the sidelines and say, tut, tut, and take photographs? No. I will stand with you. Um, it'll be, put it in your diary, midday to 1pm on Monday the 9th of October. Monday the 9th of October. Obviously we celebrate things on the day they fall. And it's at the uh, Lakeside Oval at 33... Oh, I can't pronounce this. Augusty Drive, A-U-G-H-T-I-E, A-U-G-H-T-I-E, Drive in Albert Park in Melbourne. And obviously you can create a Peter Norman Day in your part of the universe. It is an international day recognised around the world and it's something that you can actually organise. And if you need some uh, information go to the Peter Norman uh, Facebook page. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. Let's move on. You know, sometimes you've got to do a little bit of lateral thinking to get on top of a so-called complicated world. Now, in this country... Deaths in custody, especially of First Nations people, has been a constant sore, constant issue. And despite a Royal Commission, I think it was about 33 years ago, it continues to be an ongoing issue in this country. And I did notice... a few days ago that the Australian government has introduced new sanctions against Iran for the death in custody a year ago of a young woman who wasn't wearing a headdress. And obviously that death sparked riots judicial executions, imprisonment in Iran. That's quite right that sanctions should be placed on that particular 
religious theocracy, because that's what it is, a religious theocracy. But the problem is, do we ever hear any calls for international sanctions to be applied to Australia, against Australia, for First Nations deaths in custody in this country? One death in custody in Iran means sanctions from the Australian government against Iran. Over 500 deaths in custody in the last 30 years in this country, no international sanctions of any type. Maybe, just maybe, what is required for the Australian, successive Australian governments at the federal and even the state level will take a more active interest in this particular situation if sovereign nation states overseas introduced sanctions against Australia because it is not doing enough regarding deaths in custody and the huge number of Indigenous Australians that find themselves in prison in this country in comparison to the rest of the population. When 4% of the, or less, 3.5% of the population makes up 30% of the prison population, you realise there's a situation. And I think this is one particular situation where international sanctions are required. And I'm sure there are people in this country that have been, through the United Nations, have been pushing for sanctions against Australia because of deaths in custody. There's nothing more that awakes a nation state, especially the government of a nation state, there's, than international sanctions against it. Because considering our past history, where gentlemen of name and quality made their fortune through genocide, three land and three labour, Maybe it's about time that the rest of society began to realise that although on the surface this is the land of milk and honey, underneath there is a very, very dark underbelly as we're seeing in the uh, voice referendum. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, prisoner swaps. There's been another big issue today, hasn't it, in the last few days? Prisoner swap. You know, Iran and the USA swapping prisoners. Now, I'm thinking, again, you've got to think outside the box when you're looking, looking at these situations. Look, there's nothing, you know, I can do about that prisoner swap. But then I think, why shouldn't the Australian government be negotiating regarding a prisoner swap with Great Britain, and great in inverted commas, with Great Britain regarding Julian Assange. Mm? I mean, he's a vicious human being, isn't he? He exposed the truth regarding the atrocities which are occurring around the world through WikiLeaks. And he still finds himself rotting in jail, waiting to be extradited to the USA, to begin, I think, uh, you know, 108-year prison sentence. Now, I know the Australian government has been negotiating 
behind the scenes. But it would be very simple to organise a prisoner swap with Great Britain. I'm sure there are prisoners, British prisoners, in the Australian system that would love to go back to England and maybe complete their sentence in England. And a, sw- a prison swap could be organised. That's the thing. You've got to think outside the box. Don't, just don't think the same way that you're asked to think. You watch some type of television news, hear a newspaper, read a newspaper, listen to a radio, go into social media. It's the same crap over and over again. So let's think about the possibility, not just think about, but push for the possibility of organising a prisoner swap because Mr Assange has been punished enough irrespective of his personal shortcomings and I've got more personal shortcomings than Mr Assange ever had. The fact is that he has been basically persecuted for allowing the world to see what was happening behind the embedded media reports of what was happening in Iraq during that period. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, over time, over time, you get to love certain people. That's right. I used to... You know, I know Mr Bielke-Peterson has been dead now for over a few decades, and I know that he was responsible for... uh, having me beaten up a few times. Not personally, you know, no, just, just these little goons beaten up over the years. But And I know he was responsible for having me blacklisted from every public hospital in Queensland, which forced me to go to Melbourne. Could you imagine the punishment leaving Brisbane to go to Melbourne in 1976? Oh, I've never got over it, to be, to be honest, he says laughing. Best thing that ever happened to me. But he had a funny, he had a beautiful phrase. Feeding the chooks. Now, obviously, being a man with a country background, coming from New Zealand to uh, Dolby, if I was correct, I think it was Dolby. No, Kingaroy, Kingaroy, Kingaroy in Queensland. I've forgotten my little country towns. Uh, you know, he was the type of bloke, had a bit of humour to him. You know, like he said, one day somebody left him 400000 in a brown paper bag and he said to the reporter, doesn't everybody receive money in brown paper bags (laughs) and the media feeding the chooks you talk about feeding the chooks now although Premier Daniel Andrews the Premier of Victoria the longest serving Premier I think uh, currently in office in Australia everybody else seems to have disappeared has a habit of feeding the chooks and it was wonderful Wonderful to see the man who privatised Melbourne ports. This is the Labor Premier, obviously. The only Labor Premier is privatised, you know that. Privatised the Port of Melbourne. Privatised the Vic Roads. Private is privatising public housing. You name it. If he can flog it, he'll flog it. He was trying to f- privatise work cover, but the trade unions arced up a bit. And it was the same with TAC, which was on the chopping block before the last budget, but uh, the unions arced up and he needs their support currently. But I love his media opportunities, and I saw a brilliant one yesterday. I had to smile to myself. 
when I saw the report that the federal government had given $500 million for the Andrews-led Labor government in Victoria to redevelop, that's the key, redevelop two blocks in Carlton, which have been had their residents pushed out by Housing Victoria, two blocks in Carlton, to build 231 units. Five, $500 million for 231 units? That's a nice job if you can get it. I think I should, I'll put in the contract for that job. And then we're told that before that, there are 193 units in this, these two blocks, which they claim were unfit for human habitation because obviously the, fed, the state government's policy is not to repair public housing. It's an unstated policy. You go around the public housing blocks and you can see what's actually happening regarding uh, that particular philosophy. You don't repair it. You put in people who are, you know, have got major issues. You don't provide any support to those people. You watch the estate crumble and then you come in and you knock it down and you, you re rethink. And I'm thinking to myself, every Victorian, every Australian will be going, oh, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? $500 million to the Victorian state government to build 231 units in Carlton. Social housing. You see, Mr Andrews has a problem. He has a big problem. He cannot spell the word public. P-U-B-L-I-C. He has a great issue with the word public. We've seen public roads become private roads. We see the Labor government getting into bed with some of the biggest corporations on the planet like Transurban and giving them a free ride, you know, the Treasury every day. And we see it constantly with this particular Labor government. It is very keen on destroying public assets. Now, at the last state election in a bid for a third term, they did raise the idea of having a new public energy system. Hmm? But as far as I know, nothing, hardly anything has been allocated to actually to create a public energy system. It was just a little bit of window dressing. So it was good to see. Now, of these 231 social housing units, I can assure you that none of them will be public housing. Although the Greens were able to come into an arrangement with the Federal Labor to provide money for public housing as well as social housing. But the good thing is we're now not using the term community and affordable housing because people finally realised that these are just private entities. So it was a great, great moment in stupidity. It's... It's wonderful to see the Andrews-led Labor government feeding the chooks. And let's not forget, now I may be wrong here, I, I could be wrong because maybe the information I've got is wrong, but I understand that uh, Mr Andrews' government has 90 people on the payroll whose job it is to feed the chooks. And that's our current media. And the thing when you feed the chooks is then you feed social media. It's one of those situations. Let's move on. 
nature. Now, you may have been a little bit surprised by what nature's been doing lately around the world. Well, you see, you see, nature doesn't care. It doesn't really care what happens to you or me. Nature goes on. It doesn't care what happens to the human race. We've only been on the Cro-Magnons, our, our type of uh, human species, has only been on the planet about 150,000 years. And although we've become the apex predator and we're soiling the earth and destroying our children's future, as I spoke about before and everybody's speaking about it, see, nature doesn't care. It doesn't care if you're black or white or yellow or brindle or green or pink. It doesn't care if you're a Martian. It doesn't care if you're straight or gay or queer. It doesn't care. It doesn't care if you're male or female or transgender or non-binary. It doesn't care. Nature reacts. It reacts to the situation it finds itself in. And there's one thing about nature. It doesn't care about belief. Belief systems. You can believe all you like, but nature is based on reality. Scientific reality. I know it's a terrible word, science. You do this and that happens. You push us in this way and CO2 emissions increase. You do that, the ozone ozone hole gets bigger. You do this, the ozone hole closes. It's very simple. You do that, temperatures increase. You do this, temperatures increase, fire increase, El Ninos become more things. Spring becomes an extended summer. It's all simple physics. That's all it is. Nature does not care. So we need to care. We need to care as a species how we interact with nature, how we interact with our fellow um, species, what we do with the Earth's forests, because ultimately we live as a species in one of the most precarious situations possible. And I'm sure you wouldn't buy any real estate if you're a, a Martian looking at the Earth. We've got 8 billion people, approximately 8 billion people, living on a sphere with an atmosphere stratosphere about, what, 20 to 30 kilometres, destroying the lungs of the Earth, which create oxygen, as I said before. I learnt a few days ago, if you don't breathe for three or four hours, three or four minutes, you die. It's just an extraordinary situation. So, irrespective of whether you believe climate change exists or doesn't exist, the reality is different. Nature follows physical principles. It's simple. You do that, it do this happens. This happens, this happens to the human species. Think about it. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, the broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano. I've been hosting today's program. A few Facebook pages, Joseph Toscano, Toscano for the Public. YouTube channels, public interests before corporate interests. Um, YouTube channel, josephtoscano.nam. If you want to join public interest before corporate interest, you can do online. Go to pipsypibci.net. I'm the registered officer of public interest before corporate interest. I encourage you to join. It's one of the few social political organisations that actually uh, has uh, policies on many of the issues which uh, face us today. And obviously we owe no allegiance to 
anybody. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. You can ring us on 0439 395 489. Listen in on the Anarchist World this week via the community radio network next week. Construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10 a.m. every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up to date analysis. 3CR is radical radio, and that means more than just alternative current affairs and political coverage. We're radical because we're an independent media outlet, owned and operated by the community. We're radical because we give communities the control of their own shows, with their own music, in their own languages. We're radical because we provide a media platform for communities to build their own power to create social change. Become a subscriber and support Radical Radio. Call us on 03 9419 8377 or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au/subscribe. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.